0: Welcome to the Ponder A New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Maialis, and in this podcast, we ponder anew the meaning of sacred and ancient stories of scripture for our time and our place today. And in this season, we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah, who's rebuilding Jerusalem as we seek to rebuild our lives on so many levels. And this week, I want to have some fun with one of those classic Old Testament uh, passages that just reads like a lot of names and places from a galaxy far, far away that seems to have nothing to do with our life. Because sometimes uh, those passages that at first seem so dull and boring and blah, 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 blah turn out to really have some some good stuff. You just got to work a little bit harder. So I want to give some some tips and tools of how uh, you might uh, approach some of those uh, parts of the Bible that at first don't seem the most uh, scintillating. And then in the second half, uh, the second portion of the podcast, I want to talk a little bit about knowing uh, when to hold them and knowing when to fold them in terms of conflict and, and how Nehemiah has to engage this. So, without further ado, we'll get the rebuilding party started. Chapter 3 begins and reads like so many parts of the Old Testament, especially, although this happens in the New Testament, too. There are just so many names and places that it just becomes sort of impenetrable. Then the high priest Ilishab set to work with his fellow priests when he built the sheep gate. They consecrated and set up its doors. They consecrated as far as the Tower of the Hundred and as far as the Tower of Hananel, the men of Jericho built Nexem, and then Nexem, Zekor, son of Imri, built. The sons of Hanesah built the fish gate, blah, 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 Mermoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakuz. blah, 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 Mishuliam, son of Berecha, blah, 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 right? It's... It doesn't, it doesn't fly off the page that it has any sort of particular meaning for us. And there's always a way in which we can acknowledge that there's a gap between our world and the biblical world. Right? Uh, you know, we... Uh, when I read the parable of the prodigal son, um, I haven't had that particular experience. There's things in there. You know, the guy helping out with the pigs, um, some of the dynamics in the family that, yeah, I probably could realize that first century Judaism would interpret those slightly differently. But the the big picture of this story about forgiveness and faith and hardness of heart and families and ultimately God's uh, mercy, it's clear, right? You know, you kind of get it. But there's these other points where this, the, the cultural historical world just seems to be uh, put up a chasm between us and this original author and, and what they're trying to communicate here. So what do we do in these parts of the Bible where, it, again, it just reads like very dry ancient history that doesn't seem particularly relevant for our lives today? Well, one of the things you can do is you can just have fun um, with really the Internet searching for particular names or particular places. Uh, And it used to be you would have had to go to a really fancy-schmancy library at a (laughs) hoity-toity theological school to get access to this, or maybe your local church library would have had it. But again, a lot of this information would have been really difficult. And now you can actually just go to Wikipedia. And I wouldn't take Wikipedia as gospel truth, but it might just spur on some things that kind of, make you say, oh, wow. So in this case, I just want to look at the very first uh, place that Nehemiah talks about the rebuilding, and it is the Sheep Gate. So if you look up the Sheep Gate, what you'll find out is that the Sheep Gate is called that because this is where sheeps, I guess just sheep is the plural there, sheep or lambs, were uh, taken into Jerusalem when they would be offered for sacrifice. And so this is why the temple priest, the high priest, in fact, is the one who is helping to to do this. uh, Because again, this would now involve the priestly work of the sacrifices of, of lambs and sheep. What's interesting then is now that we know that this piece of information, that it's the Sheep Gate is the first one, this uh, said something about how Nehemiah wanted to rebuild. And he wanted to start with the most religiously significant of the gates. He wanted to start with the gate that had to do with worship. And and this is, now we're starting to get somewhere, right? Because what this is suggesting is that the the rebuilding wasn't just about tactics, but it was also going to build on a foundation of worship, right? That worship was going to be the foundation of the rebuilt Jerusalem. In our lives, as we seek to rebuild, it's a humbling and, and uh, I don't want to say painful, but a humbling reminder and oh, maybe even encouraging that uh, Nehemiah has to build on the the foundation here of worship. And in our lives as we seek to rebuild, there really isn't going to be any sustainable, any productive rebuilding that doesn't include A foundation, a first move of of worshiping the Lord. And as a good Lutheran I'd want to argue that God always moves first, but but really the first of our moves then uh, isn't going to be to to fix this or to fix that, but again it goes back to what we had earlier in Nehemiah about prayer. It's gonna be about this relationship we have with God. And in the case of Jerusalem, the the community's relationship with God, that this has got to come first. This, which is interesting striking me then as as a pastor at this particular point, as we're sort of emerging out of COVID, there's all of these pieces of the ministry that I'm so excited uh, and eager to kind of get back going. But I know at the core, it's got to be about this, this basic worship for people, both in the sanctuary, and then also ultimately uh, in their homes and wherever they are in the week, but, but this foundational piece of, of worship. So uh, my hope is uh, for you, um, as you are entering this uh, next chapter here, that, um, and as you're rebuilding, that you have found a way, hopefully through the pandemic, but certainly at this point, to worship. And and that just might be a question. Um, post-pandemic, have you been able to renew your, uh, for yourself a, a worship groove where um, you can have this weekly renewal of your spirit by God's mercy and word uh, done to you? Okay. So the first uh, set of questions is again about worship as a foundation and how is this working in your life. But this all comes about just because we had fun researching what the Sheep Gate was all about, which led us to realize that Nehemiah's first move of rebuilding was actually uh, about the temple and renewal that way. So again, you can always have fun looking at specific details And uh, it turns out that in this particular case, actually I think the sheep gate is the most interesting of all the gates that are listed in chapter three. Uh, But again, you can have fun researching the rest, finding pictures of them and so forth. Uh, Another way to think about how we go about interpreting or understanding or deriving something for our life today out of these dense passages that have lots of names and places and so forth, is to take a step back and try to look at the whole, and kind of say, why is the author giving us this data dump? And what it becomes clear in Nehemiah chapter 3 is that there's a lot of names, a ton of names. And why are so many names given to us? I would like to offer that Nehemiah is communicating to us that so many people from different walks of lives, different professions, um, from both the priestly class, the noble class, the merchant class, the artisan class, all of these, uh, even at one point, even daughters and women of somebody, like again, the, everybody is sort of getting their hands involved with all of this. And so we may not understand that particular... Um, ranking of people in society or even what all these factions or tribes meant. But it's clear that from the whole that so many people are, are participating. And on the one hand, this is simply just a credit to Nehemiah's leadership that Nehemiah is able to, uh, in chapter 2, well, chapter 1, he sort of secures the permission of the king, or I guess early chapter 2. And then he has a small group of people that he goes with, and then he uh, convinces a a little bit larger of a circle of of leaders, and now he's got really everybody, well, we'll get more into that, almost everybody uh, on uh, working together. And so I want to then uh, correct us and say Nehemiah doesn't rebuild Jerusalem. Nehemiah inspires others to rebuild Jerusalem. Again, Nehemiah doesn't rebuild Jerusalem. Nehemiah develops a team, really a tribe, uh, unites a, new, a tribe in a new purpose and, and gets them all to work together. And uh, so I guess I could ask uh, a leadership question, and then I want to ask sort of, I think, a more broad question. And the leadership question is, in, in your life, when have you had to delegate because you have realized that the task at hand was greater than you could do? Uh, And when is the time in which you saw how delegation enabled a really large and awesome undertaking to be accomplished that you yourself could not have done on your own? And how now, uh, as you rebuild, are you, again, leaning leaning into this um, equipping and and delegating uh, to others, but I think just a question though for uh, maybe us as individuals, regardless of our leadership position, is to realize that each person here is doing has their own project, and for some of them there's a sort of a personal vested interest in their own project. You know, the high priest working on the sheep's gate. And later on, you almost get the sense that people were working on, you know, something that was very close to their house, if not even their, their own house and, and where it touched the wall. And so I want us to, to sort of take a moment and think, you know, how does your rebuilding effort add up to the rebuilding effort of something bigger than yourself? And how does it sync with? How does it expand? How does it help? The rebuilding effort of somebody else. So, uh, for instance, uh, how does the sort of redevelopment of your particular, um, you know, line at your job, your sort of, your silo, uh, hopefully not truly a silo, but how does your sort of area, how does that help others? How does your participation in renewing some aspect of your church, um, or even maybe even of your home, or, or all of this, how does this uh, add up to and enhance the rebuilding of somebody else. Because again, this project of Nehemiah is going to involve a lot of people doing something, some that may have even sort of in some level been self-interested, but it's going to add up to something that has a, a far bigger um, glory and, and a far uh, more communal impact. So, So thinking about your rebuilding and how that might be adding on to, impacting, syncing up with others and, and contributing to something bigger than ourselves. So, at some points, when we look at a hard part of Scripture, the best thing to do is to sort of take a step back and sort of say, you know, what what does this all add up to? And, and why is the author trying to communicate all this this information to us? Um, and I could uh, even conclude by saying, if we sort of want to put the big and the small together, it concludes with the sheep gate at the very end of chapter three, and what that lets us know is that Nehemiah has actually walked us all around the city of Jerusalem, uh, under under my underscoring the totality of this project. So we approached here chapter three, which uh, wasn't the most obviously. Uh, exciting or relatable passage, but out of it, and I think fair actually to Nehemiah, not just like looking for something, but fair to the the Nehemiah sort of rebuilding uh, efforts is sort of these two areas of questions, and the first, again, being around um, how has worship um, remained or become newly foundational for you uh, post-pandemic, Uh, Again, because Nehemiah shows that worship is going to be at the core of this rebuilding. And then secondly, how might your efforts be contributing not just to your own sort of rebuilding, but the rebuilding of those around you for this uh, effort of Jerusalem really wasn't just about Nehemiah, but really about a a whole host of people uh, working both individually but then collectively hard together to accomplish something uh, greater than their own individual rebuilding efforts. I want to close out, and I thought I'd have time for a full second half on this, but I think I've already covered enough ground, uh, with a little verse in, in chapter 3, verse 5, where Nehemiah lets us know that there's these nobles uh, of the Tokiites, who, uh, as, as Nehemiah puts it, the nobles would not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Nehemiah has done really everything right. He has prayed. He secured the earthly king's blessing. He's developing increasingly sort of broad circles of leadership. He's going to start out his rebuilding efforts with something that relates to worship. I mean, it's like like the textbook so far on how to do this. But even then, there will be people... Who stand in opposition? Who just aren't on board? They didn't. They didn't get all aboard when the memo came. When the when, you know when the train whistle blew, they kind of looked in and said, "That's not for me." And then this is really helpful for us to uh, remember that no matter uh, how much our path we believe is wise and holy, even if we've done sort of all the right things, uh, said all the right prayers. There's going to be some who just don't come along with what we're doing in our lives, um, in our church, in our business, in our communities, in the nonprofits we're involved with. Again, just not everybody's going to get along and and, and move ahead. And so so hear this, uh, hopefully, word of grace from Nehemiah that even when you do everything right, some people won't get on board. Now, in chapter four, which I think we'll cover later, uh, Nehemiah uh, will have a more uh, conflict path with people that aren't on board. But in this case, he just ignores them. He doesn't like seem to rebuke them. There is no long and hard conversation. He just just kind of walks away, notes it, but again, doesn't really invest. And so this is kind of an interesting question. Um, Who are people in your life who haven't gotten on board with what you're doing, aren't participating in what needs to happen, but you're just not going to fight them about it? Not everybody needs to have a huge conflict. But what it it does, uh, again, suggest is the need for, and I'm going to go back to now sort of where we're driving on a lot of these pods, is uh, the need for discernment and prayer. How do we know when to hold them and when to fold them? When in a conflict situation, when somebody's not working with us, do we say, you know what, it's it's not worth the fight today. I'm, I'm just going to move on. And when instead do we kind of have to say no? Like I, as Nehemiah uh, did earlier with uh, the two people, Sanballat and, and Tobiah, where he he says, you know, you guys have no place here. So in some cases, uh, he has to directly oppose. This is what he does in verse uh, 20 of chapter 2. And in other cases, he just kind of in verse 3-5, it just seems like he just kind of walks away. So how do you know when to hold him and when to fold him? And again, I think that goes back to what Nehemiah the whole book is about about this life of prayer to figure out when it's worth the energy um, to expend and when not to. So that might just be a question for you. When was a a time when you had to make a decision about how to engage somebody who wasn't really cooperating the way they needed to? And uh, what helped you come to that conclusion that uh, in terms of the rebuilding effort, it it wasn't worth uh, your breath or your effort at this point to fight or oppose them? Well I think that uh should should exhaust and, and cover for us uh chapter three. Well thanks everybody for listening today. I always would enjoy hearing questions uh from people or if you even have feedback about content or format, you know, yeah, please please let me know. And uh if you want to uh meet again every Wednesday, we're meeting at a local uh pub uh, to the Bull's head to talk about uh, these these passages we know that's not possible for everyone who's on vacation or just a listener far away and again I would invite any kind of comments or, or feedback I know one of my friends was was texting me a- after last week and that's uh, totally great uh, and again feel free to uh, share this uh, with others in- inviting them into this act of pondering anew as we seek to rebuild our lives. And so I'd like to conclude with a prayer. O oh Lord of heaven, sometimes your word seems impenetrable and confusing to us. And so we pray that you might open our hearts anew and give us skills to be able to understand what your word is meaning for us today. We pray that as we rebuild, we will continue to be mindful and to build a foundation on worship of you and your eternal mercy for us. We also pray that we might see how our efforts at this time in life is is working to better, not just our own lives in some way, but make an impact beyond ourselves and build towards something greater. And finally, we pray that as we move ahead and we inevitably face opposition, that you will grant us wisdom to know to engage with those who seek to oppose us all this we pray for through your son's name amen